Welcome to Inside Yorkshire with Susan, bringing you intriguing details about the lives of people here in Yorkshire. So, come on in and join us. This is Susan here, again from Inside Yorkshire, and I'm talking now to Michael Wood, who is with us today to tell us his tale of how Yorkshire Air Ambulance came to his rescue. I'm not entirely sure how long ago that was, but anyway, hello, Michael. Hello. Well, to put the the history into perspective, it was actually five years ago, almost to the month, to the day. I was 54 years old. I'd never been inside a hospital since I'd been five years old. I had no idea how incredibly sophisticated the NHS was. I'd never heard of the air ambulance, and I certainly had no idea that it was charitable or indeed that it would cost £12,000 a day to run. So when I finally did come out of intensive care and learnt what had happened to me, I was actually very embarrassed. I was seriously embarrassed. I felt completely ignorant And I was grateful to everybody from the floor cleaner to the matron to the people that delivered me there. As you'll learn from the story, these guys saved my life. I would be dead. Right. Wow. (laughs) So are you going to tell us um, what actually happened? I like to make things flowery to almost shock people (laughs) rather than just being a mundane story. But it was a beautiful sunny day, rather like today. And I was riding my horse with a friend. We weren't a million miles away from the Gormai Lake, which is right at the bottom of Sutton Bank, uh, very close to the North Yorkshire Moors where we live. And uh, we had a fabulous little canter up a hill, turned right. And the next minute I was on the ground. (laughs) I'd hit the ground. I had no idea what on earth had happened. I recall my friend coming across to me, asking me whether I was uh, okay. Uh, Yes, uh, fine. Uh, I'll get my breath back and I'll get back on my horse and he said that's great you're in the recovery position so just stay like that and he busy started chatting to some walkers that had happened by 15 minutes later still couldn't get my breath back and I was beginning to lose um, not consciousness but lose any sense of coordination in my speech so they decided it might be a good idea to get an ambulance oh dear at this point, it took them till they didn't... They about didn't 15, 15 minutes I was on the right. ground. In fairness, that's my uh, estimation of it. But it gets worse because in the North Yorkshire Moors, the um, mobile phone signal is very, very patchy. So these walkers were wandering around with their hands in the air trying to find a, 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 a signal. Finally, they managed to get a signal, called in to the rescue services who were going to send a, a land-based ambulance. And I distinctly remember lying there thinking, I can hear a siren coming towards me. Nino, Nino, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. It's going away. It's going, oh, no, no, it's coming back. It's going away. And so the walkers actually set off to find it because it actually got lost because we were in quite a convoluted area to, to find. And um, I remember the, the paramedic uh, walking straight up to me, took a look down the front of my shirt uh, and saw these little blood spots appearing on my chest and immediately said, yep. It's an air ambulance. And at this stage, I was still lying there thinking, I'll get my breath back. I'll get back on that horse. And um, when I heard the sound overhead, duff, 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 I thought, no, no, somebody's really taking the mickey now because I can definitely get back on my horse. Just give me time to get my breath. I'll be there any minute. And uh, I didn't know 
at the stage, but I'll come back to it, that um, uh, there was a, a film crew on board. Um, so BBC Helicopter Heroes dropped out of the aircraft. Meanwhile, there was God knows how many people around me taking my shirt off and um, doing all sorts of things. Can you feel your legs, etc., etc., etc. And it came to a point where they decided they were going to roll me onto a stretcher. And as they put the Velcro around me, I thought, right, there's definitely something wrong here. If today is the day that I die, I've had a fabulous life. I, you know, it, I can't ask for anything better. And uh, as, as I was told later, all the walkers helped to lift me over a barbed wire fence because the helicopter was in the next door field. They helped shove me in the helicopter. And um, the last memory I have before blacking out was asking in rather rude terms whether somebody would shut the door, please, because it was very cold. And of course, we were several thousand <clears throat> feet up and I was just beginning to lose it. So the story that I was told later on was that um, I went to James Cook Hospital, which is, has its helipad outside of the hospital, whereas places like St. James's, I think it has it on the roof. So in the film footage that came on Helicopter Heroes, you would see the helicopter landing in this stretcher. I don't think it was me, but it was a stretcher heading down the little runway into the doors and the doors shut behind you. And you eventually end up in this magical place called the NHS. They zipped me through a scanner, straight into the operating theatre, opened me up, did an emergency operation because my stomach had been pressed up against my heart, my diaphragm punctured, various ribs had gone. And so they zipped me up, put me in a bread, and they said to my wife, if you'd like to stay the night, you're more than welcome. In fact, if he was my husband... I would stay the night because we don't expect him to make it. Really? And so that was quite scary for her, obviously. And later on, I discovered that they'd actually said, well, if he lives, then we'll do the other half. And basically, my pelvis had been smashed. Um, there was a big crack across it. Both both hips had been cracked. And there's all this metalwork inside me. So I have quite a, a long memory from that point onwards as well. So the bit in the middle, uh, you know, I obviously blacked out. Uh, I remember my, my week in intensive care. Uh, I remember certainly coming out into the trauma wing. I remember it was a boiling hot day like today uh, and asking them if they would mind moving me because if they wanted me to die, they could leave me in this little cell where I was absolutely drowning in perspiration. And so they moved me to a, a room uh, above the A&E, uh, above the A&E entrance and the window was wide open. And again, this is all part of the educational trip that I had, lying there in A&E, or above A&E, listening to the appalling things that were going on outside, the drunks that were appearing in the middle of the night, and the fights that were going on, and all that sort of stuff, you know, led me to have another cause, which was the NHS, which um, is not the subject for today. The amazing thing was that if I nearly died, and I was in a ward of six, I was barely 50% up the league table. There were guys ahead of me that had been put into comas, all of whom have come in on... We all, I think the vast majority of us came in on the air ambulance. I lay and watched out of my window the helipad on a daily basis, landing guys coming in, ending up in the, the next door bed to me. There were car crashes, there were motorbike crashes. There was all sorts of, uh, and some really quite scary stuff. 
it was just a massive education to learn that this whole apparatus existed. That you didn't, up I'd, until then, know anything about. I had no idea. Mm. I had no idea. I never had to use it. I think that it also led, led me on to a slight social conscience because I also watch people come in, get patched up and leave and never once say thank you mm. or smile at the nurses whilst they're going out or even consider paying back mm. anything to the system that would put them there. So for me, um, fairly early on, I was invited back after my accident to a number of uh, events. One was a life after intensive care meeting where they asked me, had I made a diary of events whilst I was in intensive care? And I thought, blimey, I could barely, you know, barely breathe, never mind keeping a diary. But it did spark me off to think, whoa, wait a minute, I've got a book inside me. I want to find a way to repay certainly the air ambulance and all the people that helped me. And so it was trying to think out of the box rather than the cake bake, because I can't cake bake and all the different things, was to try and find a different methodology to raise funds. Uh, and writing a book was good fun. It was certainly uh, very therapeutic for me. Thankfully, the BBC Helicopter Heroes wanted to do a series of interviews with me after I left. In fact, they were almost disgraceful in that there were ambulance chasing me after I'd left to get me on film because they wanted the story. And in fact, I ended up with a two-part story on Helicopter Heroes. But they were kind enough to give me the footage. I then hired my own team of camera crew. Uh, we had a big fundraising event, which we raised an enormous amount of money with. I interviewed a number of the nurses, consultants, friends, uh, everybody. And then six months later, I was filmed back riding. And so we put so all... So you're back, you're back yeah, on a horse again absolutely. That's back fantastic. on a horse. Actually, that's a fairly interesting point because everybody, but everybody in that ward of six... You'd ask them the question, oh, you're going to get back on your motorbike having nearly died? Ask me tomorrow. Well, when tomorrow came, the vast majority of them said, yep, I'll be back on my motorbike. Because that was their passion. Mm. And it was mine as well. So, yes, I'd been filmed riding again. And we stitched it all together and made a DVD. So within the process of fundraising, we raised, raised a considerable amount from the first benefit concert, which at the time we'd managed to launch the the book, so we could sell that at the concert. And then the DVD came along, so we could sell that. I've even sponsored uh, CDs for uh, young musical acts that I thought was good to try and raise money. This past year, or in fact, 2017, we held three fundraising events in my barn. I made a Woody's Music Shack. We had a big stage sound system. We made our bar. We got real alien. And um, we would drive people in from uh, our own friends network and i have to say i've lost count of what we've raised but it must be in the tens of thousands of pounds and had a good time the same you know so in, in fact having received been the recipient of the yorkshire ambulance services you've actually put a lot back in now I hope so. I hope, yeah. I hope I've paid for well, at you least... Are, you are still, presumably, the DVD and the books can still be purchased, can they? Absolutely, yes. The book was on the website for a while. and On the Yorkshire, Yorkshire Air, Air, Ambulance. Air Ambulance. That is all available. I feel proud that I've probably paid for at least the day. <laughs> um, but I think I've gone on to do a few more days. The most amazing thing was um, actually visiting the, the aircraft that 
picked me up. And it wasn't one of the new ones, it was one of the old ones. And I remember looking in it and thinking, uh, so a pilot, a paramedic, a film cameraman, me, was there really room in there? And uh, I remember the guy told me, well, yes, your legs went down the tail end there and your, your, your body was up here and we all crammed in on these little seats. And it was quite amazing to think that we were all crammed in this tiny little aircraft. So, yes, it was a, it was a huge, huge learning curve for me. And I, I've never given up since. So what I wanted to ask you then, Michael, is how long were you actually in Jones Cook Hospital after your accident? Well, firstly, I was a week in intensive care which I'm told is a very long time, uh, and I was around about two weeks in trauma care afterwards. So three weeks in, in total, which sounds an incredibly short period of time for the accident I had. However, my original operation, they removed my spleen simply because they needed to get into me, get my stomach away from my heart, resolve my punctured diaphragm, and they had no time to put the spleen back. Uh, and because the spleen manages your immune system, they were very keen to get me out of the hospital um, so I didn't catch any secondary infections or whatever. Uh, and even to this day, I have to be very careful. Chest infections in, in particular could kill me. So I'm on a, a drug regime of uh, twice daily penicillin. So yes, that, that, that was the period I, I was there three weeks. So it's had quite an impact, but you're here and really looking hale and hearty, I would say. Uh, yes, I mean, most, most people, when they hear my story, are actually quite shocked because they can't see any external. I mean, if I took my shirt off, you'd see all the scars, but that's probably not socially acceptable. <laughs> that's a little bit too much. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, I, I, it, thanks to uh, my own private physio in particular, who had a mechanical horse, uh, she specialised in uh, broken soldiers, uh, particularly from Catrick area, and horse riders. So, in fact, although I had to learn to walk again, I learnt to ride from a mechanical horse, and I could probably ride better than I could walk to start off with. So that that made a, a huge change. Because your muscles had all need rebuilding. The subject of one week in intensive care is the problem that you... Well, I lost an enormous amount of weight... Uh, in particular, muscle wastage. And arguably, my physio would have suggested that I should have done physio whilst in intensive care. I'm not quite sure how I've done that, but your muscles start wasting very, very quickly. And that has been one of the biggest battles to get back, is the muscles. And even five years later now, I still struggle with certain muscles on my right side. It doesn't stop me doing anything, but it just makes me look like a bit of an old man when I get out of a chair. <laughs> uh, so happy then that you're back on, on the horse. And is it the same horse that you had the accident? No. Um, the horse that I had an accident on, funnily enough, we discovered that she had a cyst in her head. And clearly when I'd pulled on the reins to ask her to stop, this had had a rather uh, uncomfortable reaction. And she had gone into what would be described as a bronch, which is rearing and bucking at the same time. And as she was fairly young, she came over backwards on me and literally full 650 kilo horse landed on me. No, she did get sold and she's very, very happy in the new home and she's doing a lot of really good work. We medically resolved her cyst. So no, funnily enough, I got back onto a Clydesdale, um, which is probably weighs somewhere in the region of 900 kilos. If she'd come over... But fairly bomb-proof, I would think. Definitely yes. bomb-proof. And in fact... 
I've probably never fallen off. But if you do ever end up underneath Clydesdale, you probably would you, die. Yes, I was going to say, I don't think... <laughs> I don't think that, well, not that it's been an easy process for you, but I think an impossible one that way. Now, just to say very quickly again about the book, I forgot to say, what is what is the book called? Yeah, the book and the DVD are both named the same. Uh, Whatever It Takes is the title. And that is quite an emotional title because uh, lying in intensive care that first night, uh, my wife had been told you're welcome to stay the night because we don't expect Michael to live through the night. I distinctly remember she grabbed hold of my hand, squeezed it, and she said, Michael, whatever it takes, we'll get you through this. Um, and it's not just about those first few days. It's the the aftercare. I lived in my hallway for six months. We used to have lunge lines to hang on the meat hooks to exercise my legs. Um, you know, she had to wash me. She had to get me out of bed. So it wasn't just a very simple, you know, three weeks in in hospital. It went on for six months at least. Mm. So Whatever It Takes is the name of the book. And the DVD has the same title, but that is made up of footage from the BBC and my own footage. Uh, We recorded uh, a fundraiser and meetings and interviews with nurses and consultants. And then finally, the end result is me cantering on my beautiful Clydesdale, six months after my accident. Oh, you were back on riding six months after? Six months, absolutely. Six months almost to the day. Wow, uh, was... I, I thought that was the recovery period, but no. I didn't think you'd have been riding no. so quickly. No. That was quite amusing, actually, because um, it was pure coincidence. My niece was was going to ride and the t- horse was tacked up and she didn't feel like it. So I thought, well, there's a jolly good opportunity. Let's have a go. And uh, we have a four-step mounting block so I could get, my leg over and get onto the horse and went off for a fabulous ride. But it was only on returning into the yard, it popped into my head, ah, how am I going to get off? And so there was a great debate as I sat there, do we get a fire engine out? Do we winch him off? How is it going to happen? And then we decided, well, okay, we'll we'll get the horse up against the cottage door and we'll all stand in a row ready to catch him. And I literally lay on top of the horse and rolled over into their arms. (laughs) So, you know, never say never. There's always a way around it. So you don't have to do that every time you ride now, do you? Thankfully, it's slightly more... um, You've a process in place. Yeah, yeah, we do have a process. I can actually throw my leg over, but um, yeah, yeah. Um, I never got on my horse thinking that I was going to end up in James Cook or in an air ambulance. You know, you just... just, Life deals you. Life deals you that. Well, I'd just like to say thank you very much, Michael, for that. It's been lovely talking to you. And so pleased that you were rescued. Yes, that makes two of us. So this is um, Susan signing out from inside Yorkshire. Thank you.